Welcome back to the OU Shnei Mikra series and our study of Parshat Vayakel. This is Menachem Liptag, and in today's year we study Shlishi, the third Aliyah, beginning with Perak Lamed Hey, Pasek Lamed, chapter 35, verse 30. As we mentioned earlier in our study of Parshat Vayakel Pekudeh, we're going to focus on more thematic issues on how the Mishkan relates to the overall theme of Sefer Shmot. In regard to the details of the Mishkan itself, because it was already studied in Parshat Trumat Tzaveh, and it was explained so beautifully by Rabbi Tzvir Shweinreb in his series on Trumat Tzaveh, I'm not going to focus on the actual details of the Mishkan. I'm going to focus instead more on wider issues and how the details and the order of Parshat and Vayakob Kudet relate to what's going on in the wider themes of Sefer Shmot. So let's begin with Shlishi. Vayimur Moshe B'nei Yisrael. Moshe told B'nei Yisrael as follows, Ru'u, see or understand, Kara Adonai B'Shem, God called out by name, He singled out a specific person, Betzalel ben Uri ben Chor Lamate Yehuda. Betzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Chor, from the tribe of Yehuda, He is going to be singled out to be the mastermind behind the construction and all the craftsmanship of putting together and building the Mishkan. What gave Betzalel this ability? This Betzalel was filled with the Spirit of God. God gave Betzalel this ability with wisdom, understanding, and dat, and knowledge, to be skilled enough to make all the different vessels of the Mishkan. If you have a Nusach Sfarad, or you're familiar with that Nusach, that phrase, should sound familiar, because in the first bracha, in the middle section of Shmon Esrei, the idea of dat and bina we have in this pasuk, and then we ask HaKadosh Baruch before we close the blessing, that triad of chokhmah, bina, and dat are based most likely on this pasuk, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, our recognition that our ability to understand the world that surrounds us is all a gift from God and how we have to use that gift from God and our mental abilities and our skills and channel them in a proper direction, that's something that we can learn from this story about the appointment of B'Tzalel. It's not also by chance that we open up that section of Shmon with a blessing of Chonein Hadat that relates back to Sefer Breshit and the whole concept of Eitz Hadat, Eitz Hadat Tovara, man's ability to have knowledge and make decisions between good and bad, it is through that ability that he develops his connection to God and can build his spirituality. Before we continue the Aliyah, let's discuss for a minute why specifically B'Tzalel was chosen. Chazal point out that B'Tzalel's grandfather, Chor, from the tribe of Yehuda, most likely is the same Chor who was one of the primary leaders of the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. We met Chor in the war against Amalek. When Moshe had to keep his hand up high, it was Aaron on one side and Chor on the other side who were supporting his hands. There we see that Aaron and Chor were assistants to Moshe Rabbeinu, and hence in a very important leadership position. But even more so, at the end of chapter 24, in Perach Avdalad, Psukim Yud Gimel when Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to Har Sinai for the first 40 days to receive the Luchot, Moshe tells the nation, I'm going up to Har Sinai until I come back. And he tells him, Hine Aaron v'churim machem, I'm leaving you with two people in charge, Aaron and Chor, anyone with a question or with a problem, they should turn to Aaron and Chor, they're now in charge. For some strange reason, 
After that event, at the end of chapter 24, Chor is never mentioned again in Chumash. That's very mysterious. Where did this great leader disappear to? A second question arises later on in the story of the sin of the golden calf. Why is it that Aaron gives in to the people's request and makes for them this golden image, this Egel HaZahav? Chazal solved those two questions with one very ingenious answer. They claim that the reason why Hur disappeared from Chumash is because he was killed by the people. When the people first came and requested to make this Egel, Hur said no. He was against the idea. The people were angry with Hur and killed him. Once Aaron saw that they killed Hur, and he was now the only leader left in charge, Aaron decides to give in. So here we explain through that Midrash what happened to Hur and also one of the reasons why Aaron gave in to the people's request. If indeed this is Hur, the grandfather of Betzalel, this can also support Rashi's approach to when the commandment to build the Mishkan was given. Recall that this appointment of Betzalel was already recorded in Parshat Tetzaveh. According to Rashi, the commandment to build the Mishkan, even though it is recorded in Truma Tetzaveh, which is before the story of Chet Egel, it actually took place after the sin of Chet Egel. In other words, Rashi claims that the commandment to build the Mishkan, even though it's recorded earlier, that commandment was only given to Moshe Rabbeinu after the sin of the golden calf, when Moshe went up for the last 40 days on Har Sinai. If Rashi's approach is correct, we can understand that many of the details in this commandment to build the Mishkan relate directly to the incidents of Chet Egel. For example, the reason why the first thing that God tells Moshe to do is to collect the gold and melt down that gold and make an image that represents the God who took them out of Egypt. In the case of the Mishkan, this will be the Aron and the Kaporet that covers it and the symbol of the covenant inside of the Aron, Duchot Abrit. The reason why that's the first commandment, because this is going to fix what the people asked for, and we're going to do it now the right way. Another example of Rashi's approach would be the reason why during the seven days of Miluim, during that inauguration ceremony, when Aaron and the sons are initiated to become the priests, to become the Kohanim, as described in chapter 29, in Tarach Haftet, in Aaron on each of these seven days has to bring a parlachatat, he has to bring a sin offering. Why does Aaron bring a sin offering? Rashi suggests the reason for that is to have kapara for Egel, to atone the sin of the golden calf. Another support of Rashi's approach would be the very opening line in Perachatei Pasachet, where God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Vasuli Mikdash Vashachanti Betocham, build for me a Mikdash, and then my Shekhinah can dwell among them. This would fit thematically right with the story of Egel. Because recall that during the middle 40 days, when Moshe petitions God not to leave his people, God had threatened, even I'm not going to kill them. On the other hand, I'm not going to dwell in their midst. In the beginning of chapter 33 in Sefer Shemot, God tells Moshe, I'm not going to come with you now to the land of Israel. You're a stiff-necked people. You can have the land like I promised your forefathers, but I'm not coming with you. And Moshe is commanded to take his tent outside the camp of Israel, and God would only talk to Moshe Rabbeinu outside the camp. God's saying, my Shekhinah cannot dwell with you because you are a nation of sinners. Moshe demands that God come back and travel with him. God says, I can't because you people, you're stiff-necked. Moshe insists. And because of Moshe's prayer, God is willing to change the nature of the relationship and hence enters a new covenant and goes up in the last set of 40 days, receives a new set of tablets, that include God's famous attributes of mercy. It's through these attributes of mercy where God is saying, even though you're an Amkshe Oref, 
I'm willing to dwell in your midst. That was Moses' request after God declares these 13 attributes of mercy. Even though we're in Amksha Oref, take a look in chapter 34, will God indeed come back and dwell with his people? God says, okay, I'm willing to come back and dwell with you, but before I do that, you have to show me that you really want me to come. You have to show your sincerity. And therefore, it's going to take six months of a group project. Build for me a mikdash. Show me that you care. Show me that you indeed want to serve God in the proper manner. Show me you know how to follow orders. And then I'll bring my Shekhinah back. And indeed, only after the six months of construction, only on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, in the second year, as described in the end of Parshat Kudai, does God's Shekhinah return and dwell with His people. For all those reasons, Rashi follows Chazal's approach that this commandment to build the Mishkan was given after the sin of Chet Egel. And if that approach is correct, we can understand one of the reasons why specifically Betzalel was chosen. Not only because of his craftsmanship, but also because of his ichos, because he was the grandson of, Betz- of Chor, who paid a heavy price for trying to stop that terrible sin before it started. Of course, Ramban disagrees with Rashi's approach. He keeps Chumash in chronological order and claims that this commandment to build a Mishkan was given before Chet Egel. And hence, Betzalel is being chosen only because of his ability. It just so happens that Chor is his grandfather, but his appointment had nothing to do with the sin of the golden calf. Ramban, in his introduction to Parsha Truma, explains that we need a Mishkan to perpetuate Mamar Har Sinai. He claims that Amisro can't leave Mount Sinai. They can't leave that close connection to God. Therefore, they have to take Mount Sinai with them. In that manner, the Mishkan becomes a model and a manner through which we perpetuate Mamar Har Sinai. Hence, we need a Mishkan, even had we not sinned with Chet Egel. That argument between Ramban and Rashi is a very intriguing one, and hopefully, in one of our future shiurim, we'll try to explain how we can resolve the differences between them. Let's continue now with the study of Shlishi in Pasek Lamed Bet. Also, to design and plan out everything he's going to build, not just thinking, but designing before building, to do all the work necessary, all the metal work, with gold, silver, and copper. Also, with stone carving and stone setting, this was primarily for the needs of the Choshen and the Ephod. And also, also the carving of wood. And there was a lot of wood that had to be designed and carved for the poles and for the Krashim of the Mishkan, as we'll see as we continue our study. To do all the necessary work that needed design before construction. God also gave him the ability not only to be a great designer and craftsman, but also to teach others and instruct them how to do that. Therefore, to teach and to instruct, he also gave him that ability. He had a partner in being in charge of this construction project. That was Oliav, the son of Achisamach from the tribe of Dan. As Rashi points out, we have one person in charge from one of the most important Shvatim, from the tribe of Yehuda, but also from the tribe of Dan, one of the maidservants of Yaakov. So we take from the tribe of Yehuda and from the tribe of Dan, these two leaders together are going to be in charge of this construction project. Another example of the unity that we're going to see throughout this entire process of building the Mishkan, a unity that's necessary to bring God's Shekhinah back to His people. Pasek Lamed 
It was God who gave them the wisdom of the heart, to do all this work of carving and design, the rokeim and also embroidery, and that has to do with the different types of wool and linen, batchelet, ubargaman, betolat, hashani, uvashesh, v'oreg, the weaving of the purple wool, the blue wool, the linen and the silk, as we've seen over and over again, osei kol melacha, doing all the work and designing and making all the plans. Notice how over and over again, Moshe emphasizes to the people that this ability that these two great men have is because God gave them that ability, again like we see in the bracha of Chonein Dat. Vav now, we begin chapter 36. We're almost repeating again what we said before, the Betzalel, all these people who God gave them this wisdom and understanding to do all these different things, they all did the work just as God had commanded. Pasuk bet. Vayikram Moshe al-Betzalel ve'o'oliyav. Moshe now summons Betzalel and Oliyav. Ved ko ish chacham lev asher natan Adonai chokma belibo. And all these skilled people who God gave wisdom in their heart. Kol asher nasa'olibo whose heart lifted them up. In other words, they were inspired to help. Lekorva el ha-melacha la'sotuta to come close to the work, to do it. These were the volunteers. Moshe now charges them to take the material and get to work. Therefore, in Pasa Gimel, they took from Moshe, recall that all these contributions and donations were given to Moshe Rabbeinu. They come to Moshe and they take these materials. All the materials and donations that Bnei Israel had brought to perform this work and even though the people had brought the original donations, as construction began, people continued to bring more and more donations every single morning. All these wise men, they came every day to do their work. Each person coming to do the work that he was in charge of. They told Moshe saying, now these artisans come and complain to Moshe Rabbeinu, we have too much material. And they tell Moshe Rabbeinu, the people are bringing too much and we have more than we need to do all the things that God is commanding. Therefore, to lower this volume and to keep things under control, Pasuk Vav, Moshe, Moshe makes a commandment, where the word gets out in the entire camp saying, Ish v'isha, Every man and woman, in other words, everyone who has been donating, please don't bring any more donations. And the people stop bringing. I'm not sure there's any other Jewish organization that ever came and made an announcement like that, that we have enough donations, we don't need any more. But at least here, this is a sign of how eager the people were to get this project completed. All of these donations that were brought up until now, that was more than enough to get all the work done. Bohoter, and there were still left over. In other words, the Psukim are coming to emphasize how the people donated more than enough, and the nation as a whole was very eager to get this project underway. This ends the third aliyah. I'd like to conclude the third aliyah with an observation in regard to the comparison between what's happening now in Parsha Vayakel and something that happened back in Trumat Recall that Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Harsinai at the end of Parshat Mishpatim 
That's the end of chapter 24. And beginning in chapter 25, all the way to chapter 31, we find God giving instruction and laws to Moshe Rabbeinu. And almost exclusively, all of these laws relate to the Mishkan. Whenever God speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's always embedded in a very short narrative, usually beginning with, Vaydaber Hashem Moshe Lemor. God spoke to Moshe saying, sometimes Vayomer Hashem Moshe. It's a conversation. Sometimes they're long and sometimes they're short. The commandment that God gives Moshe in the beginning of Parsha Truma, that dibur, that instruction begins in chapter 25 and continues all the way to the end of Parsha Tetzaveh. If you take a look at the end of Parsha Tetzaveh, you'll notice that it's one long dibur from chapter 25 to chapter 31, verse 10. Then look carefully at the beginning of Parsha Kitisa. And unlike what we found in Truma Tetzave, the laws of the Mishkan continue, but now instead of being one long dibor, one long command, beginning in chapter 30, verse 11, Perak Lamed Pasek Aleph, we have another dibor by Daber Hashem Moshe Lemor, followed by the laws of Machsit Shekel. Then in verse 17 in Pasek Zayin, in chapter 30, we have another dibor by Daber Hashem Moshe Lemor, the laws of the Kior. Then we have another dibor with the laws of making Shemen HaMishcha, in Pasek Habet. Then we have another Dibur, in Pasek Lamadalet, Vayom Rashem HaMoshe Kach Samim Nataf Ushchelet, Bechalbana, the laws of how to make the Torah. And then in chapter 31, in Pasek Kitisa, we have the commandment to appoint Betzalel. That takes us to Pasek Yeralef. In Pasek Yibet, we have another Dibur. In verse 12, God tells Moshe, Tell B'nai Israel, even though I'm commanding you to build the Mishkan, Ach, chapter Taiti Shmaru, keep my Shabbat. And with that commandment to keep Shabbat, we conclude this unit of what's called Tzivuy HaMishkan, the commandment to build the Mishkan, because in chapter 32, we already begin the story and the narrative of Chet Egel. If you've been counting up how many divorce, how many conversations there are between God and Moshe Rabbeinu, we find seven different divorce. One very long divor, one very long conversation, Trumat and Tetzavah together, and then six additional short conversations, all beginning with Vaydabar Hashem or Vayomer Hashem and Moshe, and in total we have seven. The number seven should not surprise us at all, especially as Chazal point out that in many ways the Mishkan will be the completion of the process of creation that began back in the first chapter of Sefer Breshit. It's interesting that the seventh Dibur is the commandment to keep Shabbat, which surprisingly matches up the seventh day of creation, which was the Sabbath day when God rested. But if we take that parallel a step backwards, the sixth Dibur is the commandment to appoint Betzalel, a person who God filled with Ruach Elohim, with wisdom and dot and understanding. And that would be parallel to the sixth day of creation when God created man. And therefore, the sixth day and the appointment of Betzalel is going to parallel the creation of man in the sixth day of creation. This fits nicely with what we talked about before, how man has to recognize that when he has certain abilities, wisdom and knowledge and craftsmanship, an ability to be creative, he has to be sure to use that ability and channel it in the service of God. The other days don't match as perfectly, but we can try a little bit. The first day, the first dibor, is called the Shechina unit, where God tells Moshe, v'shachanti. and that unit concludes with v'shachanti Yisrael at the end of chapter 29. The concept of God's Shechina is very similar to the concept of light, of God saying, you are the ability to see God. And understand, that would be the first day. The second dibor is the commandment of Machsit HaShekel. And this idea of a half may be similar to the idea of Rakia, which divides between the waters below and the waters above. And that's a little more stretched than the others. 
the third day, the Kior is parallel to Yikavu Hamayim that begins the creation on the third day. The fourth and the fifth day don't match as good, but at least day six and day seven fit beautifully together with the sixth and seventh Dibor and the commandment to build the Mishkan by noticing that parallel, even though it might be totally coincidental, but if it's not coincidental, it might highlight again how Bitzalel and his appointment reflects back on the story of creation and the purpose of God making man and how man has to recognize that any ability that God gives him has to be appreciated by men as a gift from God. If that gift is appreciated in the proper manner, man will take those abilities and channel them in the proper direction towards the service of God and mankind. In tomorrow's Aliyah, we'll continue this topic as we study Ravi, the fourth Aliyah.